Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. your engines it's time to talk about all things racing nascar indycar sports cars and formula one this is the final inspection show presented by the legendary great lakes dragway in union grove now here's your host steve Saki. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Make sure you check them out for the Time Machine Nationals this weekend. Should be a pretty cool event with all the uh, throwback machinery there. And don't forget, you can get a two-day ticket from uh, uh, for uh, not only today, but tomorrow. And don't forget, Hall of Fame Drag Racer. Arnie the Farmer Beswick will be out there, one of the most popular drag racers out there. So make sure you check out, check that out at the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. And uh, joining us on the, on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline from the v, v, VSCDA uh, Vintage Group, it is Mike Cronelli. Mike, welcome to the show, sir. Hi, well, thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, and, and this is a pretty neat deal. Uh, you know, I just, uh, I have not been, I was at the September vintage races a couple weeks ago or a couple years ago but you know have not been able to get out, out there every year but this is a, a pretty pretty neat deal so give us a background on on because there's there's usually three vintage events up at road america and this has uh been called the fall vintage and, and other names but give us uh, some background on the, the the fall vintage race up at road america well uh, via cda which is the vintage sports car drivers association <clears throat> Have been doing the event for um, 30, this is our 35th year. So it's the Elkhart Lake Vintage Festival. Festival. Um, and uh, it, it runs the gamut. Typically, uh, last year was uh, an extraordinary year. We had, I think, something like 430 around that uh, cars. Typically, our typical year is about 325. And that ranges anything from pre war. You know, cars uh, almost into their teens, uh, certainly 20s and 30s, uh, up into including Formula One cars. So it's a it's a it's a large gamut of uh, of cars. I mean, obviously the small British sports cars. We have the um, you know typical I'll call them pony cars, which is our Group Six um, open wheel, you know, indie type cars. Uh, 
So we, we have a, a large group. We have about 10, about 10 different race groups. And um, we run um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we have, uh, um, we also have, in conjunction with that, we have uh, normally up to the back lawn of the Off-Top, which is a, an invitation-only concourse. Um, and we normally do a, a road course reenactment, which is a police-escorted um, and if the race cars can join in and the public can join in, and we would do the entire road course circuit. This year, the, the village has declined to uh, allow us to do that just because of COVID. They're nervous. Understandable. So uh, we won't be doing that this year, unfortunately. But we do have touring that spectators can, can join in on for a modest $50. You get to, you get to drive the, drive the, real, the uh, race course at moderate speeds nobody gets to nobody gets to race or they're done um in the, the saturday at late afternoon and evening is the concourse i talked about and this year it will be instead of on normally it's on the very nice groomed grounds of the ossoff resort um last year we got rained out so we had to do it in the, in the parking lot across the street at the ossoff's parking lot and that's where we'll be this year and um we have some nice music there uh, for a few hours. And it's just an opportunity for our, our drivers and crew to come and relax a little bit. And then we, we have a banquet uh, Saturday evening, which is, is open to the public. Um, this year, David Hobbs is our, uh, is our guest. We do an honored guest every year. And David Hobbs is our guest this year. So um, it's there's a little bit for everybody, uh, whether you like you know a little bit more modern F1, you know, the pre-war, uh, if, if, you, if you like the, the Mustang Camaro Wars, if you like uh, the sports races, that's uh, really strong in, in SCCA. Um, but it's a, um, it's a, it's a, we try to make it a family-friendly event, even for the racers. Um, but if somebody hasn't made up to Road America, it's a, it's a fabulous facility. Um, I mean, you get people, we normally draw from, I'm going to say, about 23 states and a couple of foreign countries. Um, I don't know where it's at this year. Um, and I think our car counts could be down a little bit, but not bad. Um, obviously, Wisconsin hasn't been hit quite as hard as some other areas. So, And a lot of races have been canceled, so there are a lot of guys that are really anxious to go out there. And we're doing our best to practice all the safe, uh, safe COVID stuff that we can. Um, so it's it's a it's a great event for spectators. The track is a, it's a very spectator friendly uh, facility, like 600 acres. So you, you you can find a spot almost anywhere to watch from any corner or any hill, any bank. Uh, sure. And there's, there's there's good seating all over the place, and spectators can come wander through the paddock um, and look at the cars. I mean, normally the drivers are more than happy to tell you their whole life story about the car. <laughs> uh, typical car guys. So it's a it's a it's a real nice event. Uh, it's a little bit little bit smaller than the July event, uh, but this year probably will be close. Um, so we're excited well, Mike, to be here again. Mike, it's uh, Jeff. And uh, speaking of uh, the car owners, can you give us uh, some background on the average vintage car owner in the VSCBA, and perhaps talk about your restoration of the Group uh, Forty Four Cup car? Um. Yeah, I, I think actually, you know, we, we, we joked about it because, you know, the average vintage racers, you know, might be in its 60s, although we're, we're starting to see, which is really nice. Uh, you know, I talked about being family friendly. Um, we've got a number, at least a half a dozen over the last couple of years 
of uh, drivers, and most of them are daughters, actually. You know, their fathers race, now they're racing. So uh, we're seeing younger people get out there. And it, it actually is, you know, people go, oh, racing is so expensive. You know, um, the thing we talk about vintage racing is, um, you know, you could be anywhere out there, and as long as you're dicing with somebody having fun and you're living the dream, um, it doesn't have to cost that much money. It just doesn't. Um, yeah, if you want to be up front and you want to run a Formula One car, forget it. I mean, that's a, a massive amount of money. But if you want to run a, a, a typical, you know, smaller production-type car and want to be in the middle of a pack somewhere having fun, um, you can you can do that. There are guys that run the same set of tires all year, and you know, you, you know, if you don't get something that's a big gas guzzler, well, that, that saves you money. And <clears throat> so, um, there's all kinds of guys. There's guys that are very serious up front, and it is serious racing. Don't just because of vintage, it's serious racing. Um, you know, and the guys in the pack are quite as serious, and the guys in the back maybe don't have a big budget, but they're out there and they're living their dream. They're they're on the track and they're competing and and Nine times out of ten, you can find somebody to dice with, and that's what's fun. It doesn't, you know, if if you're all about first place or else, you probably shouldn't be in vintage racing, um, just because, you know, if, if you're if you if you do metal to metal contact, uh, you, you know, you're going to go to drivers' committee, you're going to have to explain yourself, uh, because you know, hard racing is one thing, overly aggressive with metal contact, very much frowned on, very much so. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I um, I do a lot of different projects, and right now I'm just about finished up with uh, um, the Group 44. Um, you know, if people know who Bob Tooley is from Group 44 Racing, is Bob won, oh my goodness, uh, I don't know, five SEC championships, two Trans Am championships. He took uh, he took Jaguar back to Lamar and won his class, I think, after um, like almost a 25 or 30 year hiatus. Most people didn't know that at the end of Bob's career, um, he self-funded a, a, a NASCAR team. And um, interestingly enough, um, Jim Seller in 1989 ran the half season about um, for Bob. Um, and his best finish was ninth at Watkins Glen. Uh, and so for a, a new team that self-funded, that wasn't bad. Uh, um, Jim did a great job uh, of, uh, of being able to pull that off at ninth place. I think he started, I don't remember, it might have been 20-something. I, I don't exactly remember. Uh, so the car is, um, is just about complete. I had actually got it fired up, and there was a Souter family racing car show was it last weekend. And um, put it on the trailer, took it up, and, and showed it off. And the you know, Souter family was there, and, they, and I mean, they appreciated it. Uh, they were kind of shocked that anybody would would uh, you know t- take the time and effort to restore one of their dad's cars but it was about jim Sauter. i'm from wisconsin you know i'm only a few miles from the slinger track so i can have qualifying uh so it was about it was about um you know jim Sauter, the wisconsin history but also about bob julius because i i know bob because i i built a uh, one of his um his group 44 e type um race car that he won the championship in 75 with that's not a museum in england so i raced that for about 20 years so that's kind of how I got to know Bob. So it's just kind of a, a neat little piece of, um, of Wisconsin history and, and Group 44 history because that turned out to be the last um, the last race car ever raced by Group 44 Racing, and they were in business for I think like 35 years or something, pretty long time. So it's kind of neat. I think it's going to end up going down to uh, Daytona 
and Bob has a hangar down there where he has some IMSA GTP cars, and I think maybe it's going to sit on display down there because he has groups come in that, um, you know, well, he, just, he was in Motorsports Hall of Fame, I think, two years ago. He got inducted two or three years ago. So uh, he still does have tours of people that come in and uh, want to see some of his cars and his airplanes and, <laughs> and uh, let, you know, just listen to Bob talk about his history because he's got a very long history in racing at a lot of different venues. So, um, yeah, that's that one's almost done. It's on to the next. <laughs> so uh, We're talking with Mike Cornelli of the Vintage uh, Sports Car Drivers Association and their, their event, uh, the Vintage uh, Fall Festival, coming up here September 18th through the 20th at Road America. And uh, you're, you're doing a co-sanction this year at the event. And uh, is that something uh, that we may see in the future? Or is that because of the COVID epidemic? Is this helping out with, uh, with organizations kind of grouping together, helping each other out? How did that come about? Well, it's it's kind of interesting. I I'm, I like anything with wheels. You know, in the early days, of course, I was doing muscle car stuff. And and uh, I, I kind of got hooked on Jaguars. And, and actually, Dave Hanton, who runs HSR, uh, organization. He's East Coast. David's out of Florida. I knew David uh, because he's a Brit and he he loves Jaguars and he used to race a, a Jag. So we we would see each other at Jag functions, but also at the track. And and he had given me a call. And because of the COVID, um, he was getting hammered. He didn't he didn't have events, and he was trying to fill in his schedule as you know event after event got canceled. And um, he suggested that, you know, could we somehow work together? And I said, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we're, we're all vintage people, and, and you know, I want to see the HSR stay successful also. So um, <clears throat> they're, they're a little bit um, lean more towards a little bit newer, more powerful cars. Our Group 9 is where, where we have our, you know, maybe, a, you know, 80s and 90s Trans Am cars and things like that, or a GTP car be in there. And HSR does have more of those types of cars, so we'll probably see more of those than normal, I would think, this year. Um, and we are doing uh, um, we're doing some special where well, we always do special races. Um, we have the Cup races, uh, which is the, the the Kimberly Cup, the Sheldon Cup, and the Elkhart Lake Cup, and those are in reference to the races that were held when they still drove around the streets of Elkhart Lake. Um, and, um, that, and that's, it's different because for the, for the racers, um, you know, you're always in your one group, your race group two. Well, now in a, in a cup race, you might be racing with guys from group two, guys from group eight, maybe guys from group uh, three. So you get to race against people you don't normally get to race against. And it's all done strictly on time. Um, and, and if you break out, you're done. <laughs> it's like drag racing. That's kind of where I got the idea. Okay. Honest with you. Sure. Um, and the drivers love it because they get to race against other people and they know, uh, you know, they know it may be like a 15 second uh, time difference in one race in the, in the Sheldon Cup, for example. And if, you know, sometimes in your race group, you might be you know, 50 seconds or something slower than the front guy. But now you're not. Now you know you're only going to be 15 seconds different. So, and sometimes guys that are mid-pack in their race group all of a sudden become front-pack in the cup races. So um, that's that's really popular. It's, it's interesting and different to watch. 
We do the same thing for the open wheel guys. And on Friday uh, afternoons, we do a one-hour enduro race, which is five or six different groups out there at the same time. And then this year, because we're having a lot of bigger bore uh, cars, we're going to do an enduro. The last race on Sunday is going to be an enduro for the for the big horsepower guys, um, which could be anything from a, a GTP car to a, a, a Trans Am car or a Camaro or a Corvette or something like that. The big the bigger displacement horsepower guys. Mm-hmm. So we we run a wide variety of, of races. So you can't you just you know you can't run out of interesting things to watch. That's for sure. And so, I mean they're all in the paddock there, and and uh, you can you know walk right up and look at the cars and. Yeah, I'm sure it's the drivers there. You ask questions, or only too happy to tell you how fast they thought they were. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very Long good. We're talking with Mike. Sheet. We're talking with Mike Cornelli in the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Uh, the VSCDA, of course, coming up the 2020 Elkhart Lake Vintage Festival 35. That's September 18th through the 20th at Road America. Make sure you get up there. It should be a neat event. And uh, racing isn't done just yet in the state of Wisconsin. So uh, it's a great event to go up to and check it out. And, of course, at picturesque uh, Road America, what better way to spend a fall uh, weekend. So, Mike, we certainly appreciate you taking time out and your busy schedule and uh, looking forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. Well, thanks so much. It was fun to share what information I can share with your listening viewers about how great Road America is and how much fun VSCD is to be out there. And by the way, it's not that expensive. Get an old car and come out and play. Excellent, excellent. Certainly we'll do that. And, of course, we will post the event information on our Facebook site and also push it out on Instagram and Twitter. So make sure you check that out and get on out to Road America. When we come back, we'll talk to Larry Janicek, play Three Questions with Larry, coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Back to the final inspection show. Steve Zotke and joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline from YouTube. It is uh, David Land. David, welcome back to the show, sir. Man, long time no talk, Steve. It's great to be back on the final inspection show. It's been a crazy year, that is for sure. And uh, you've actually had the opportunity to go to Gateway last week. And I'm kind of curious to compare notes because I've actually only did one real uh, COVID-restricted uh, race so far this year. Now is the IMSA race up at Road America. And I'm just kind of curious to get some feedback from you from Gateway, your thoughts not only of the racing but generally just the overall uh, weekend and, and how things were uh, at Gateway this week, last weekend. Well, that was the first time I've been to Gateway, so unfortunately I didn't really have a comparison with last year. Obviously, um, they packed that thing tight last year. I mean, there was, what, 40,000, 50,000 people there. Um, there was a lot significantly less people there this year. Uh, I think Adam Stern of the Sports Business Journal had the estimate around uh, seven, uh, 750, or uh, not 750, but uh, 7,500 people. Um, and it was really well spaced out. Um, you know, most everybody was wearing masks when they were in a, a crowded area. Uh, I, I never particularly felt unsafe. Um, 
uh, you know, kind of the most unfortunate part of the weekend was the fact that nobody could pass. Um, but, uh, you know, from from a uh, pure event standpoint, I thought Gateway handled it about as well as they could have. I, I had also been to Road America this year. I went up there for the um, for the IndyCar race, and um, it was very similar to that. Uh, I thought I think the racetracks are handling this situation very well uh, when they are allowed to. Unfortunately, a lot of racetracks have not uh, had the privilege of being allowed to even uh, to try to um, exist in this COVID uh, climate. Yeah, it certainly is, and IndyCar has an issue with that, with their, especially with the shorter ovals uh, we, we've seen with, with the, the ability to pass. I mean, we saw a fantastic pass by Takuma Sato during the gateway race, during the first race, but beyond that, there wasn't much going on, and just leave it to Sato to make an exciting outside pass like he did. And is, is that something, do you think, IndyCar is going to be able to uh, address? I would hope so. I mean, uh, unfortunately, a lot of what we see on the short ovals these days is kind of a product of, of you know, some of the decisions that have been made to, to cut costs. I mean, ultimately, mm-hmm. when when all the cars are in very, very close lap time range, uh, you're not going to have a lot of what makes oval, short, especially short oval racing, so dynamic, which is the, the constant uh, flow of lap traffic. Uh, even if you're not passing cars for position, at least back in the day, you would be passing them. It almost like a multi-class sports car race. Unfortunately, that's kind of been lost recently because the cars are so close. And I don't know how they can really fix that. Uh, maybe just tires that really degrade very quickly. Maybe even if the, if it's possible, you introduce an alternate tire onto the the short ovals. Just something to to get that lap time delta between the fast guys and the slow guys a little bit wider so maybe you can induce a little bit more passing a little bit more competition yeah it's interesting i mean if you go on on youtube and and look at like a a race from milwaukee or or some of the other oval tracks in in the late in the 80s early 90s they were lapping cars after you know four or five laps and traffic was always in place, especially at Milwaukee, uh, and that really helped uh, passing. But it is interesting. It's almost like the IndyCar uh, paddock is, is is too close, tight together, too competitive, and we need a little spread, and uh, it, that would produce that. And, you know, you never thought, you know, especially me growing up, that you would hear that in racing today. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, it's, it's almost like there's no incentive. I mean, this is the thing, too. It, you know, there's almost no incentive to lap. I mean, even if a leader could lap a lapped car, he would spend so much fuel and tires, tire wear to do that, uh, that it would cost him, you know, lap time or it would cost him uh, a couple of extra laps in the pit sequence. And um, is that really worth lapping a car that a yellow will ultimately just put that particular car right back onto the lead lap and you'll have to do all that work over again i mean it's just a weird situation that they've kind of created on these short ovals and again maybe we have to go back to the future so to speak and and uh, look at kind of some of the ways that uh, they made those sort of races exciting back in the day and uh, bring some of those uh, elements back yeah it's certainly interesting and you look at what you know what we've seen so far this year it's been you know chip ganassi just dominating of course with scott dixon uh rosenquist uh you know got his win but then uh and then you got newgarden with a pair of wins and paginal uh one at iowa thank god for takuma sato splitting up the uh the two-headed monster so to speak or as we used to call it a few years ago the 
the Death Star. Um, and you looking at the you know what's left on the schedule as of right now, we just have the two Harvest Grand Prix on the road course at Indy uh, in the first week of uh, first weekend in October, and then the Firestone Grand Prix at St. Pete October 25th. And then the big mystery is: uh, Are we going to be able to race at Mid Ohio this year? Yeah, that's actually it's it's it's. it's Quite frankly, it's an unbelievable situation um, because I have I actually you know yesterday had had at least one person who who definitely should not be asking me uh, if I know anything that's happening, uh, but but somebody who really should know what's going on does not know what's going on, and so that that's something that's just absolutely unbelievable to me that it has gotten and I don't think it's IndyCar's fault either. I mean, ultimately, I think it comes down to the uh, Governor Dewine. Right in Ohio, but um, the, the fact that we're, I mean, the teams really should be like loading their trailers up right now in anticipation of driving out to mid-Ohio, and we have no idea if the race is even happening, much less the fans, some of which, some of whom, you know, took off time to go to that race when it was originally scheduled before the Indianapolis 500, then it got canceled, and some of those people, you know, it's just, it's, it's an ugly situation all the way around. And it's just it's it's so unfortunate that it seems like IndyCar of all the series in the country right now is the one that's getting hit hardest by this, and especially Green Savory Promotions, who has lost pretty much every single one of their races this year, and the two that they still have on the calendar, which are technically Mid Ohio right now, and the St. Petersburg Grand Prix. We we really don't know if those are going to happen. The only one, the only race that I think is for sure going to happen is the Harvest GP, and that could be turning into a quadruple or even like a quintuple header, you know, five races to finish out the season. They could almost do an IndyCar bubble uh, if they just literally can't race anywhere else. And, and it probably won't have fans. certainly if the Indy 500 did, and I wouldn't, you know, say that I would bet on fan. I wouldn't bet on fans the rest of the year, to be honest with you. It just doesn't, I just don't trust at this point. Yeah, I really don't. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's possible, but why, why take the chance? And I mean, is it like, a, you look at gateway, you know, having those 7,500 fans that really make or break them, I don't think it did. I think they were happy just to, to have the event and that. And, and But, yeah, you wonder if, if, if that's, you know, does, does that even factor in? And I, I think with Mid-Ohio, you might actually see that without. And, you know, you do, you know, you do have Honda there. You know, and, and you know, Honda's always used it as a promotion and as a way to kind of reward their employees by giving out a lot of tickets to for their employees to go to uh, to Mid Ohio, uh, so it'll be interesting to see if that that happens. I mean, would you be satisfied with uh, maybe just two or four races at Indianapolis to close out the year at this point? <laughs> the fan in me says no. Uh, to be one hundred. Indy Road Course is not particularly the most exciting track in the world, um, and and ultimately, you know, from from a business perspective, I understand. Like, they have an obligation; they have to do a certain amount of races this year for the sponsors, for the teams, for the TV. Totally understandable, um, but it's it's not going to be very fun if it's only at one track and it's four different races. And and you know, every time it's kind of been brought up, even now that it's a double header, much less if they run you know four or five races there. Uh, they don't particularly seem keen on changing the layout. It's not like they would run the full turn 13 that Formula One did, which is the backwards turn one for one of the races. It would be the exact same layout 
four or five times, and even now it's two times. So it's it's not a super inspiring situation in a lot of ways. I think I think uh, maybe I'll say it, and other people won't. I think a lot of us just want this season to be over with, so we can look forward to 2021. Hopefully, you know, getting Long Beach back and, and running 500, and, and you know, going to some of these races um, that really have a lot of energy and are exciting, and and um, it, it's just a it's a shame. It's it's 2020. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly been a frustrating year. And uh, we're talking with David Land on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. You can check out his stuff at David Land, L-A-N-D, on YouTube. Very good stuff there. And, uh, David, I guess a uh, final question I guess I have to ask. I'll, I'll ask you. We'll bring it up. Uh, to red flag or not the red flag, the end of the Indianapolis 500? Boy, that was quite a debate, wasn't it? Um I think, unfortunately, uh, the the Speedway set a bad precedent in 14 um, by kind of setting the expectation that, yes, we're going to red flag it at the end of the race to try to get a finish, and then that particular red flag produced a good finish. Uh, so a lot of fans have been expecting uh, if there was a situation where it looked like maybe they should have red flagged the race, that they would red flag the race. Um, you, you know, I, I this is the thing. I, I don't really think it was – the result was really in question. I think Takuma Sato won the race. Um, and quite honestly, if Scott Dixon could have passed Takuma Sato, he should have done it before four laps mm-hmm. to go. Uh, I think I said it in my video. I think Scott Dixon was racing a NASCAR race, and, and Takuma Sato was racing the Indianapolis 500. And Takuma Sato won the Indy 500. Um, now, from an entertainment standpoint, like I do get the argument, no doubt about it. I think you know modern racing fans, especially because many of them got – on NASCAR, so to speak, that they expect races to at least have an attempt to, you know, get a green flag finish. That being said, the Indy 500 is 500 miles. And I think you, you just, especially this year where tradition was pretty much completely out of the wind, I don't think you want to, you know, sacrifice or the Indy 500. Otherwise, it's just, you know, the Pope moved to Indianapolis this year. You, you know, you, you, you want to make sure that there is some tradition left. And, you know, even if it's a little bit of a downer that the race end under green, and I certainly wanted to see uh, how it would play out in those final four laps. You look at the final 30 laps of the race or the final 50 laps of the race, you had, you had an entire fuel stint that was a duel between Sato and Dixon. I mean, as a racing fan, I wasn't disappointed because the race ended under yellow. I felt I got uh, I guess you could say my money's worth, even though obviously I didn't buy a ticket to it. I, I felt like I got a satisfactory race. It was exciting. Um, it sucks that it ended under yellow, but ultimately, if you had tried to manufacture a green flag finish, you just don't know what, what could happen. I would rather, especially after you've already had one serious accident, Spencer Piggott, um, trying to red flag the race and, and giving him a trophy dash with one lap to go, that seems like a recipe for disaster to me. Um, again, I think Takuma Sato is a completely legitimate winner of the of the race. Yeah, and I said this before, uh, on, on the other show, uh, the the show after the 500. I was kind of glad that it was a repeat winner in this case because uh, I would have felt kind of bad if it would have been a new winner to win in that situation with no fans, without the pomp and circumstance and everything. So I was kind of glad if it was either Sato or Dixon that won the race that at least they had won prior and were, was able to experience a, a true, you know, 500 and, and all the, uh, the, you know, like I said, the, you know, the 
all the circumstances and all the, the laurels that, that 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 go with an Indianapolis 500 victory. So that was good to see. Uh, David, uh, go go plug your website. I'll I'll do. How, how do we find your stuff? Well, you can find me at uh, David Land on YouTube at D A V I D L A N D. Um, but rather than a big plug today, I'd really like to uh, to send my best wishes to my buddy Bray Neves, who was uh, injured uh, at Indianapolis in a crash in Indy Pro 2000. Really nasty crash, knocked the roll bar off his car, slid on his head. Um, he's got a neck injury, uh, fracture, but uh, but he's doing well. I just spoke to him today. Um, his recovery will take a few months, but uh, he'll be back next year. And uh, and just best wishes, uh, everybody. Uh, send your best wishes to Braden Eves because we will certainly do that. Uh, Yes. And uh, a buddy of mine, uh, unfortunately the roll bar ended up right in front of his pit and uh, it's a scary situation when that happens. And uh, we're happy to see that he's on the road to recovery and wish the best to Braden. David, once again, we thank you again uh, for taking time out and uh, look forward to chatting with you again. Thanks so much, Steve. I always love coming on. All right, that was David Land on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Has your passion outgrown your home? A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. When we come back, we'll talk with Larry Janicek on the Final Inspection Show. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zotke here. And uh, don't forget, uh, Labor Day Time Machine Nationals at Great Lakes Dragway. Uh, Labor Day, Saturday, and Sunday. You can get a ticket for both days. And don't forget, special guest appearance by Hall of Fame drag racer Arnie the Farmer Beswick. That's the front engine nostalgia nitro dragsters are today only. So make sure you get out to Great Lakes Dragway uh today and tomorrow uh should be fun i think this is one of their best weekends of the year and to see all those old drag uh dragsters on the quarter mile at great lakes dragway it's a good time and i also like to thank our friends at david hobbs honda make sure you check out davidhobbs.com for all the latest in new not only new deals new cars uh but also used vehicles at davidhobbs.com joining us on the great if if i may before we get to larry i just want to remind the listeners that we are carrying the Kentucky Derby today as well on the fans. That's so hear right. that coming up at 4.30. 4.30, the Kentucky Derby live on the fans. So make sure you check that out too. And uh, Larry Janicek joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Larry, thank you for joining the show. No problem. Glad to be on. I'll take Kyle Larson in the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> he seems to be winning everything else, isn't he? Right, right. He has been on a, an incredible roll. And uh, yeah, we're 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 gonna have a, a sprint car guy on, whether it's Steve Post or, or somebody. Uh, it will be interesting to, if we can get a. I want to get a, a real insider sprint car guy and explain to our listeners just how incredible this run Kyle Larson has been on. I had a buddy uh, text me a couple weeks ago. You know, he he's seen Jan Opperman. He saw. Uh, Don Branson back in the day, Judd Larson, all those guys race, and he's never seen anything like what uh, Kyle Larson's been doing in the sprint cars this summer in America. So uh, pretty incredible stuff, and he's just been tearing it up. So, so uh, it's 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 been quite the quite the run he's been on, Larry. Yeah, last weekend was the crowning jewel. He won in a dirt late model, 
against the National Series and had never raced one of those cars before. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think uh, in in the long run, this might be uh, uh, this this might set him a little bit ahead just to to get his mojo back. And uh, when he returns to Cup, it'll be interesting. It's interesting to see with what team and uh, how he fares uh, in that regard. So, uh, of course, Larry, we we bring Larry on, and uh, he does three questions with Larry. Asks me three questions in the motorsports world, and what do you got for the first one, Larry? Okay, uh, Takuma Sato won the 2020 Indy 500 in car number 30. The number 30 was the winning car number once before. What do you remember about that uh, Indy 500? You remember uh, the driver? Yeah. The year? 1990, Ari Leindyke in the Domino's Pizza. Uh, I believe it was a Lola. And uh, that was one of... That was one of the few times where I actually nailed the winner. Uh, oh, he really? had been fast all month, and it was, you know, as, as usual, everybody's talking Penske, 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 and I just, he had a calmness about him and, and the team, too, and especially when I went down there, everything was real business-like, and he kind of had a little bit of a swagger, and it was it was one of these things where, you could tell everything was coming together for Lion Dyke in his career. You know, he he had he'd come in with uh, uh, with Dick Simon Racing, and there was some controversy in in cart back then with the uh, with uh, the haves and haves nots. Those who were racing the newer Ilmore uh, new, newer Ilmore Chevy engines, and those who were racing the older Cosworth engines, and he was running very very well. Uh, with an older Cosworth and, and was just just almost there. And that Dick Simon team was really gelling, and they just couldn't do it. And he moved on uh, to that Domino's team, and, and uh, they had an Ilmore, and his oval career had really started to take off at that point too. And I just thought, you know, I just had a feeling that uh, he was going to win it all, and he certainly dominated. At that time, was the fastest 500-mile race uh, on record. I hope you had a lot of money on them. Uh, of course I didn't. <laughs> I yeah, right. Back then it was a little bit harder. Now you can just go online. Uh, back right. then you didn't have that option. Right. Okay, I got another follow-up for the Indy 500. Sato's win made him a multi-time winner of the Indy 500. Do you know how many multi-time winners of the Indy 500 there has actually been? I don't. I'd have to go through it manually, and that's too yeah. boring. I think the first yeah. one is, uh, I think, dates back to, I think, Tommy Milton, I think, if I recall, is the first one. Yeah. There's, he's the 20th multi-time winner of the Indy 500, and those 20 drivers represent 53 Indy 500 wins. Okay, no, I, got just, an, I got another. Yes. I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, I mentioned it to David Land in the previous uh a segment and on another show, I'm just glad it was a repeat winner this time for the Indianapolis 500, which is rare for me because you want to see somebody new win. But in this case, with with everything with the weirdness of 2020, I was kind of glad it was a repeat winner. Right, I agree with you 100 percent on that. Uh, here's here's one that I uh, stumbled across here in the last couple of weeks. Who are the only two drivers in their careers? to run at least one complete season of Formula One and a complete season of the NASCAR Cup Series. Of course, they weren't in the same years or anything. Right. Okay, there's been two of them? 
Yeah, there's two drivers that during their careers, each one of them ran at least one complete season of F1 and one complete season of the NASCAR Cup Series. Yeah, because there's been a lot of drivers, especially back in the 60s, it was a little more prevalent, the drivers that did one-offs in, in either war, especially Formula 1 drivers coming over to NASCAR. The one easy one, that's, that's Juan Montoya, who came over right. and, and, and did both both series. The other one is really was really a surprise when I saw it. And these weren't one-offs. These were complete seasons. A complete season. Uh, the yep. only one I can think of offhand... And I know he ran for Bud Moore, but I don't think it, he ran the whole season, though. No. He ran the majority of the season. And I was thinking of George Fulmer, who ran uh, who ran for the Shadow Team in, uh, I believe it was 73 and 74. And then Russell ran for Bud Moore. But I don't know if he ran the whole NASCAR season. Um, uh, like other... said, this, was a, uh, this was a real surprise to me. Go ahead. You got another idea? Um, I wonder. It's in know, the more modern times than uh, more modern more. times. Uh, give me a year. Oh, I don't have that down here, but Roughly. it's uh, ballpark. He had wings. Oh, he ran Formula One with wings? No, no, no. It's part of a commercial for his team. Oh, you talking about Scott Speed? Yep, he's the guy. Yeah, Scott Speed. Okay. Yeah, he ran a whole he ran a whole a season of Cup and also of Formula One. That's right. That, that's right. He would have. Yeah. And I just <laughs> I just saw <laughs> flipping through YouTube yesterday. I saw a thing. Whatever happened to Scott Speed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he still runs. And he was running. Uh, yeah, he was running that. Um, Oh, uh, that one series. It was like a real rally, rally type thing. Oh yeah, with, yeah. Uh, um, I forget the name of it, but yeah, he's still running out there. And uh, I don't know if you got a chance to see it. And for our listeners that might be interested, uh, the the uh, stadium uh, super trucks are in Australia, and they ran. They're running some races out there. Those those uh, races are on YouTube, and and the one they they ran one at Perth, and. It guarantees. I won't tell you who won. Uh, the the fans may may know who won. It wasn't Robbie Gordon, but uh, 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 <laughs> he won his first stadium super truck race. But it, it it is quite spectacular. Those guys put on such a good show. All is entertaining. So check, wild. That, check that out. Yeah, it is. You got one more real quick. Uh, we only have a couple yep. minutes here. Yep. Okay. AJ Foyt won me six times. Al Unser won me four times in a row. Jimmy Bryan won me three years in a row. What am I? Uh, you talking about the Who's Your Hundred? You sure am. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, uh, I, I I don't want to say I cheated, but I I do uh, write uh, I do the newsletters for the Harry Miller Club, and uh, the the lead the, the the main story we're doing for this last one I did is on the nineteen sixty. Uh, national championship season and mm-hmm. out of that and I'll plug my own little horn here I posted some stuff online about the 1960 race now we had 47 cars uh, at the Rex Mays Classic and Robin Miller off of that made a story and, and uh, mentioned me in, uh, in a race article if you want to check that out if our listeners are interested in that so uh, good stuff on that and the 1960 season pretty entertaining pretty interesting because he had a lot of young guard 
uh, drivers coming up through it, and also was a uh, a test at Indianapolis with a with a Cooper Formula One car that changed Indianapolis racing forever. So, Larry, uh, we're running out of time. Thank you for joining the show. We certainly appreciate it. We'll chat with you again. I want to thank Larry Janicek, of course, for joining the show, along with uh, David Land. Make sure you check out his stuff. At, make sure you check out uh, David Land's stuff on, on YouTube, along with uh, Mike Cornelli from the VSCDA. Make sure you check out the, uh, the Fall Festival up at Road America Vintage Racing, September 18th through 20th. And i uh, also like to thank, of course, Dennis Michelson for joining the show. Of course, the Polish Pipe Bomb, Jeff Orlowski. Make sure you check out uh, Darlington this weekend. We will post our picks on the Facebook page. Go look up uh, TFI, the Final Inspection Show, on Facebook. Make sure you like our page, please, and we'll have our uh, picks up there. Uh, Mayor Mitch, as always, thank you. You bet. And uh, uh, Kentucky we'll Derby sure coming up 4:30. Kentucky Derby and the return of Ronnie M- Mackloff on the on the on, on the, the post game show. Yep. Post game show. So looking forward to that. So uh, once again, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Mars. Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.